I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And we love to watch. We love to watch says, apes no want war, but apes can mill. Yeah. But apes can maim. Apes can decapitate. <laughs> but apes can maim. Apes can decapitate. Apes can kill. All the scientists are running around looking for the monkey, but he can't be found because he's down by the pond playing hockey. some point say that apes want milk in there <laughs> was that was that you're like do you think well, i think without doing a, doing a grizzly man line that's just for me is hard <laughs> without looking it up do you think there was a planet of the apes got milk campaign and there was like uh okay no i mean no. i i'm saying i'm not saying this one like think like fucking helen oh, bottom carter 2001 i mean just mm-hmm. any I don't I know when they were. I think I don't know if the Got Milk campaign survived 9/11. You don't think so? I think I think it was what held the nation together post 9/11. <laughs> I had. I, I think had people rallied Austin around Powers vitamin one. D and calcium. I had an Austin Powers one up in my room. I tore, I tore it out of a Time magazine or whatever and put it up in my room. Um, <laughs> so I can confirm that it was operating. And still hold on, was were you were, were you operating on irony or were you like I like Austin Powers? <laughs> Oh, I, I loved Austin Powers. No, I know, but your Got Milk poster. I just liked that my friend Austin Powers could be in my room. <laughs> Doing something that the whole Dairy Council approved of. <laughs> Planet of the Apes Got Milk. All right, we're checking. Yeah, he got me milk-pilled. I don't think so. Mm. There's a guy named Chris Milk who worked on a VR tie-in to Planet of the Apes, and so... That is, honestly, that is dominating the search results. <laughs> Te- well, technically, uh, in terms Granted, of uh, Chris Milk, yeah, they, they got milk. Got milk. To do the Planet of the Apes VR game. So, yeah. Got milk. I mean, technically, it's accurate. Um, <laughs> yeah, where we left to watch our movie podcast. Uh, we pick a theme, and we decide if those movies did a Got Milk ad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if sometimes we compare and contrast to other ads, the Beef Council, the Corn Council. Name some other. What's your favorite? What's your top three councils? Oh, oh, the soy council. Because I'm a soy boy. Do you the they soy sixty percent of my actions? I don't think that that council did much for advertising, though. The a- eggs were big. It it's the incredible edible egg. Mm-hmm. Some yeah. guys like, hey, let's spend millions of taxpayer money on an advertising campaign for people to eat uh, aborted fetuses of chickens. <laughs> they're unfertilized, so they're not quite aborted. Oh, so oh, so stem cells? Brain. Sorry. Perhaps they have the hypothetical sure. ability to become life, Peter. All right? I don't know what your San Diego atheism has taught you, but... I'm just saying, I, it's impressive that you made it through the past two years and still don't know how eggs, eggs work. <laughs> Uh, you ever uh, get like you ever get like a weird conversation with your wife where they're like describe some part of how their body works and you're like Ugh. I think 
think I got most of it. <laughs> well, I know you don't want to get the shell in there. Yeah, I, I don't feel like I need to explain it to you. I'm not going to man-explain your body. Mm-hmm. Your body's a wonderland. That's, you know, that's as deep as I'm going. You your body explain to me. Is a How can I explain uh, a, a beach to an ant? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. It's like trying to explain a supercomputer to me. No. I just not along at the doctors. <laughs> Don't yeah. even need an ant, just me. Uh, yeah, but we're we're in our second week. We're covering the reboot slash prequel series. Uh, everything I've reboots. They're not. It is a reboot. It is funny how. So I did some more digging from our last conversation. It does seem like they were going a little bit leaning into in their first in the first movie prior to it being a success, and them deciding to launch sequels to it. It does feel like they were leaning into this being a prequel. It was successful. Prequels were getting out of vogue. They decided to go into the more classy for 2000, early 2010s reboot. Although what's interesting, we'll talk even more about this next week. I really am impressed with these movies' ability to go like, they they don't need to feel like we're going to go and create a hypothetical world where the original Planet of the Apes could have happened. They don't need to. They've moved past that. They're, they have their own identity. I really like the way they're kind of committed to it in this way that could seem really like eye-rolling or Easter eggy, and it works. Like, where they go in the third movie with trying to figure out a reason in this canon how humans stop talking and kind of like in the way that we saw them at the beginning of the original Planet of the Apes is something that on paper sounds as dumb as them making a prequel <laughs> to the to the Planet of the Apes and somehow works tremendously in that in that movie. So uh it, it's just interesting their kind of commitment to like we're not a prequel, we are a reboot, but we are gonna get you to a point where the original Planet of the Apes could conceivably happen. 200 years in the future. Uh, so I admire that. And because, again, they don't have to. It's working as it is, but they but they do it. We're covering uh, the second movie, the one that I think is the most financially successful. It's usually everyone's favorite. Uh, and that is Matt Reeves' uh, joined. They got rid of Rupert Everett, noted. Um, Wyatt. Noted. No. <laughs> no. I, oh, I think they're the same person. Yeah, it's a little bit of a bit. It's a bit. I was trying to remember his character in my, uh, my best friend's wedding. <laughs> no, well, no, but he's in it. Isn't he the best friend? I think he's the best friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think she ends up with him. Yeah, but I could be wrong. It's been mm-hmm. a while since I've seen that movie. But anyways, that guy that it, he directed Planet of the Apes. They got rid of him. They said, "Get out." Uh, and they brought in Matt Reeves, who is just, I think he's just coming off of Cloverfield and Let Me In, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and um, all, all About Reeves. Um, and The Paul Bearer, the 1996 uh, David Schwimmer, Gwyneth Paltrow movie that was his first movie. He he made, his first movie was a, is he a, is he like a nepotism baby? I don't know. That's a big, I, that's a big I, cast. I was like, when I saw The Paul Bear on his credit, a movie I did see when it came out in 1996, because I was, mm-hmm. you, you, I don't know if you probably don't remember this, but I do, that they, they, they took a good run at making all the Friends movie stars. Yes. Like we a covered real, one, Fools Rush In. We did. Uh, a movie that I, I remember liking, but now I just associate with Trump winning the presidency. I'll listen to the episode if you want to know what I'm talking about. But uh, the the funniest one by far, which is... 
the most uh, thematically appropriate mm-hmm. to what we're covering is Matt LeBlanc's attempt to be a movie star, or, <laughs> where he starred in the movie Ed, mm-hmm. which is about a chimp who plays baseball. <laughs> there, <laughs> there ain't nothing in the rule book that says a chimp. I think it's pre-Air Bod, but it's yeah. the same thing. It's, there's nothing in the rule book that says this chimp can't play on this minor league baseball team mm-hmm. with Matt LeBlanc. Uh, David I, also, Tr- I also, there was a time in my life where I was like, Matt LeBlanc is so cool because of Lost in Space. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Lost in Space was the other big, yeah. big swing and a miss for old LeBlanc. You don't see him on the big screen anymore. He's gone. Uh, not so much. No. I heard I heard episodes gets good, but can't sure. verify. Uh, so David Schwimmer was in a movie called The Paul Bearer. Yep, and it's directed by Matt Reeves. And it's like a, it's like a drama or something? It's like, no, it's like a romantic comedy. Oh, got it. I it's being, it's, it's um, some nineteen ninety six, but can you imagine like what nineteen ninety six was like? That they like are like, all right, we need a we need a a, a lead for our Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> like, who could act against Gwyneth Paltrow? And they're like David Schwimmer. Those are even. <laughs> That's even in nineteen ninety six. Yeah, now he's swimming with the sharks. <clears throat> yeah, he didn't do that one. <laughs> um. <laughs> I, I just imagine there being a scenario where producers were like, it's your first movie. You need some help us us guiding you along the way. Um, it's actually a movie called Paul Bearer, uh, Mall Mortician. <laughs> that eventually became, of course, yeah, changed some things, Hollywood editing, you know, a few, few, uh, few years on the blacklist, you get Paul Blart, Mall Cop. Oh, no, actually, different script. Uh, that, that became First Reformed. <laughs> Hollywood's okay. weird. I would call it Holly weird. <laughs> Holly weird. All those guys, all those, all those big characters out there. But yeah, Matt Reeves comes in and he is a better director. And I, I like we talked about how good the directing is and how well, like as much as we make fun of Rupert Wyatt just because he hasn't done anything anyone's ever cared about ever. He's a jobber. It's fine. He's a jobber. It's respectable. Uh, but Matt Reeves really adds a lot of style, and at the very least, I would say. The special effects only three we only three years removed from Rise of the Planet of the Apes, they hold up really well. Mm-hmm. All these movies because they're heavily CGI have one or two scenes that you look at and go, mm, maybe maybe render it a little bit longer. And they have um <clears throat> they have like a introduction scene where they're yeah. like they have to sell the effect and they have mm-hmm. to make you take Caesar as a real character, which we talked about dramatically. They sold it in the first movie. And they keep having to resell it as they go, but, you know. And then they have, like, something that's, like, the prestige or whatever. They have a thing where it's, like, the illusion needs to be sold to you again at a later point. And they need to have, like, close-ups of the face, a moment of, like, smoldering pain that feels human. Some sort of way to make the effect really, really work. And as the movies go on, I think they get better at leaning into their strengths and covering up their weaknesses. Um, so to speak. Yeah, and Matt Reeves is obviously, he's not, like, this is kind of his leap into, like, true blockbuster filmmaking. Like, obviously Cloverfield is, but it's also, like, blockbuster filmmaking as defined by, like, we're going to have a lot of special effects on screen. I mean, part of Cloverfield is that there's not that much special effects on on screen, right? Like, and, I mean, there, it, was, it is when they're, when it counts. I love Cloverfield. Yeah. We talk about doing it on the show all the time. but And that's also a movie that, like, uh, is... Um, 
it's uh, what's the, what's the phenomena? It's like uh, producer gets remembered as the director. Like, oh it, yeah, it yeah, Ab- it's JJ Abrams. Yeah, it's remembered as part of JJ Abrams' sort of like production powerhouse. It's not remembered well because the original movie Abrams. didn't even have the title, right? It just said oh. "Bad Robot," a JJ Abrams. So and it was right coming off a couple years of Lost. So yeah, yeah, I don't think it said a Matt Reeves picture anywhere in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, nobody would have known who he was, but. Yeah, the director of the Paul Bearer did this? Uh, <laughs> the guy who did Punch-Up on Paul Bearer, Mall Martition? So yeah, I I don't think I had high expectations. What's funny is I don't think I had high expectations for this movie. I loved Rise. They were making a sequel. It looked initially more generic than... We talked about what I liked about Rise, that it was instead of being like a prequel that was leaning in on these big special effects blockbuster moments that you would expect from a Planet of the Apes movie, instead really like zoomed in on these superhuman moments. And so Dawn being this like, you know, from the previews, it's humans versus apes in a post-apocalyptic world. I had faith in Matt Reeves as a director, having liked Let Me In and um, in Cloverfield. But I wasn't all that hyped for this movie. I, I don't know. What, what about you, Peter? Were you? No, because I actually, I've gotten stronger on Rise of the Planet. We discussed last week that this series yeah. is sort of um, uh, big budget filmmaking, but filtered through sort of like a hippie lens or an anti-war yep. lens. And um, how this franchise feels special to me because of that. And it's mm-hmm. it's not just that it's not a superhero movie, but it's like, it's not a superhero movie. It's also not about like racking up a body count, right? It's a yeah. movie specifically where people are trying to keep the body count as low as possible. Yeah. Um, but I I came out of Rise and I was like, that was good by the, by the curve that I was grading on. It was a masterpiece, mm-hmm. but it was good. Yeah. I don't ne- necessarily need another one. Yeah. Um, and then when I so I saw Dawn on DVD and at like yeah like I skipped Airbnb I skipped it in theaters on, too. Yeah. It was one of those things where it was like an Airbnb like for like my friends taking a hiking trip and I like rented it at like a red box or something. Like it was like we just need something because we've been hiking all day and we just need something while we're like drinking beers or drinking tea in the house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I skipped it in theaters, too. I, I did not have that much expectations. Even when the reviews came out and were good, I don't know. Like, there was just something about it that just seemed not interesting to me. Um, and I was pretty blown away when I saw it. Like, again, I feel like I, I've been surprised by all three of these movies. Even War, I feel like I had almost no expectations of just because it was like, how are these going to keep being good? These these are movies that surprised me all the way through. And even now, with Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes coming out um, a year and a half from when we're recording this, I am like, okay, but that one's going to be a big piece of shit, right? Like, I, I keep anticipating that this, like, thing that they've created is going to fall off. And I, I've, so I've, I've basically never been excited about a Planet of the Apes movie. <laughs> um, even though I love all three of these. And Dawn, I... I remember seeing reviews, and I, I caught some of these again. This is the first time I've rewatched it since I got it on Blu-ray. And they really are comparing it to, like, this middle act Empire Strikes Back of, like, Rise ends in sort of a happy place, assuming you're not a member of the human race. And you're, yeah. a, you're a mo- if you're a monkey, you're in great shape at the end. <laughs> um, but it still ends in a somewhat happy place with a, with a stinger. And... This one really ends in a way that feels, I think, happy. 
I think I I think it somewhat feels like a, a victory at the end of this movie when I first saw it. Um, where yeah, the the humans are coming, and yeah, they have to leave their home, but most of our main characters survived and. They made some friends with the humans, and they're going to go back, and they're going to live in their their jungle. Like, there was a cost that we'll talk about, but that things mostly worked out. And then, I think now seeing this back-to-back with war, I think that the comparisons to Empire Strikes Back feels on the nose in a way they didn't when I first saw them. Because yeah. I think war... Even in a way that Empire Strikes Back really does, or sorry, Return of the Jedi doesn't do, really leans into how much cost they end up paying in this movie. Like that, these these they're, they're, this movie does not end in a quasi victory or in a quasi we defeat the bad guys. That the the damage done through Koba's act and the ape Re- revolution and not being able to make some initial uh, treaties or peace with humans has extremely far-reaching effects in war that like this the weight of this movie and the cost that our characters are paying in this movie really materializes in this in the next movie yeah yeah so really quickly this is like my definitely my most rewatched like big spectacle blockbuster movie since 2000 i've seen yeah a bunch I, i i've rewatched it a ton and like don't even i've only seen rise i think like twice um and, like, I don't generally rewatch movies, especially these big spectacle movies, because they're so fucking exhausting. But, like, I've watched this movie a bunch, man. And I agree with you. Okay, so what you're saying is actually kind of interesting. Because before War came out, I actually did kind of see it as an optimistic ending. And here's why. It seems crazy. But at the end of it, I was like, okay, there was this conflict of misunderstanding. And there's a promise that more war is coming. And it's not just a sequel setup. Like, it's this, like, lamentation. Like, yeah. this is just going to get worse for a while. We blew our chance. Yes. Um, it's a very, very sweet, sweet scene that kind of caps the movie. When I first saw it, I was viewing it purely as a prequel to Planet of the Apes. And at this point, I had so turned against humans that I was like you know what, there's going to be some conflict, but Caesar is going to make it through victorious through this war mm-hmm. and get us to Planet of the Apes where the apes have taken over the planet and maybe the planet's in better shape now because, yeah. like, we're not, we don't have the keys anymore. Yeah. We couldn't be, we couldn't be, tra- we cannot be trusted to drive this car anymore. Yeah. Right? They're um, more cage-free. Yeah. Yeah, actually, that, the can't be trusted to drive this car anymore is maybe a little bit more ironic than I wanted it to be. Um, <laughs> but we can't be trusted to drive any cars anymore. Um, but my point is that, like, when you when, you, when I was viewing it as this sort of epic sweep of history, I was like, in the end, everything turned out okay. Maybe Caesar dies in the war, but, like, Caesar's kids will get to live in a time yeah. of, of more or less peace. They're still squabbling between humans and stuff, but more or less peace. When you witness it in, in regards to war, you're like, fuck. Like this is this is not the epic week of history. This is mm-hmm. digging deeper into the whole of suffering and individualistic suffering to individual parties that you've grown to care about and you don't want to die. Yeah. Um, so when it, you're viewing from an epic perspective, it's positive. You're viewing it from a like a individualistic, like very like more contained year by year struggle. It's 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 a very dark sort of threatening ending the way Empire Strikes Back has, where it's like, yeah, Luke gets his hand back, but the war is just about to get way worse. <laughs> yeah. And it would be like, too, we'll talk way more about this next week, 
But it would be it's it's more like Empire Strikes Back if 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 in Return of the Jedi the opening scene is like Han getting killed and then everyone <laughs> dealing I mean dealing yeah. with that the rest of the movie that the actions in that movie like cause I mean it yeah. really like I think you just kind of always expect even even a darker blockbuster like this that it's it still needs to end on a on a note of victory for the audience, and that even if it's like a a, a victory that where there's costs that were paid, like you're gonna give Caesar a happy ending and a personal victory, and um he's gonna he's gonna lower his head about the cost of war and and the chances not took. But yeah, you're right. There's hope out there. These are some humans that understand that they they really tried to work together. They're telling them to run. Caesar's like close compatriots for the most part are still all together. Like, you know, the costs are minimal in the in the in the zoomed in ending of of Dawn. And I think it takes on a whole different meaning when you've seen seen war. These these are movies that are extremely cynical in a way that does not feel edgelord while still giving you like sprinkles of hope. And I'm not surprised that like war war really does feel like a movie that's taking the first two movies that had a dark bent and a dark bent what i just mean about like the inevitability of the collapse of civilization and humans inability to rise above their circumstances and i have to assume that 2019 is somewhat informed by the trump years and everything else too because it feels just like it has some hope for a new generation of apes specifically it it, it's pretty bleak when yeah. it comes to its interpretation of humanity. And again, I don't know if that's where it was always going, but coming out in 2019, you feel like, you know, this that's a good 2019 movie. Yeah. I think I, I was I was actually thinking about this recently with regards to like class issues. Um yeah. and I I'm maybe this is just stupid like armchair philosophizing, but like when I think about the word cynical, I think of a lot of like boomer parents I know who are like yeah. Um, they Don't hate vote. rich people. They hate rich people. Them. They also yeah. think poor people are like you know living off living off of them or taking advantage lazy. of them. They're lazy. Yeah. Um, they don't trust politicians, but they also don't trust like their local politicians. Like they don't, they don't trust, they don't trust like anybody. And I think of that as cynicism, where you're both like shit in ter- from a class perspective. You're both shitting yeah. downward, but you're also like throwing rocks upward, where you're just like mad at everybody, and and you don't have even an inkling of who's who to root for. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this movie, like. I, I wrote down the word cynical in my notes when I was taking but, like, after sort of chewing on it a little bit, I feel like the word, like, is, like, pragmatic almost. Yeah. Um, it's not, like, really optimistic, I guess, but, like... Pr- maybe pragmatic pessimism. Yeah, because it's identifying the parties that are just going to constantly make things worse and worse, which is, like, my worldview. I'm constantly, like, trying to identify the parties that are just in opposition to justice and reality, right? Yeah. And then yeah, if, if only these 20 people were gone. But yeah, much, but that yeah. doesn't yeah. but that doesn't mean that I'm like assigning blame equally. I'm not playing this like centrist game of whatever. Like like uh everyone's at fault and everyone sucks because everyone's dumber than me. Which is what I associate with cynicism, perhaps, you know, armchair philosophy here, um, which will be over very soon. But the the point here is like I feel like it's almost like pragmatic or or like a realist position where it's like these are how humans are going to react to the situation over and over again. Here's how any rational creature is going to react in a survival situation. And here are the people that, like, actually deserve to, like, 
survive. These are the people that we're rooting for in the situation. And the movie mm-hmm. is obviously leaving its sympathies for. So, like, at times it feels very cynical. Like, it's like everything's just going to keep happening that's bad. But in other times, it's, it, it's, it feels more, like, pragmatic or realistic where it's like, the good people that you're rooting for and you want to survive, mm-hmm. uh, they are going to continually go through uh, heartache and struggle and, and, and famine and pain because of mm-hmm. this other party until this other party just doesn't exist anymore or has completely subjugated to them, which eventually happens. They eventually yeah. humans are the are the underclass that are kind of being hunted and gathered, right? Yeah, I think that's right. And I also think this movie, though, really directs – and this is – obviously this came out in 2014 – it feels very relevant. Yeah. It feels like it's saying thematically that there are bad actors in each of these civilizations. People that are essentially, whether through their own circumstances, the way they were raised, their individual trauma, or just like a general lack of empathy for other people or assuming the worst, are always going to make these decisions that are negative to the group as a whole and like that are going to be impactful to the group as a whole, whether they're hotheads or evil or whatever that you want to care. So you have like Koba, you have the guy who just hates apes from the beginning and is distrustful and causes a bunch of problems. You have the Gary Oldman's characters. They're, they're all different levels of like, I don't think it's as simple as to say they're bad guys or evil, but they're eventually, they're essentially bad actors who make things worse through their, their actions and that you're going to have a a bunch of other people that surround them that due to their misguided faith in their goodness or their alignment with their own beliefs can be saved or turned around. Like the guy who at the very beginning of the movie shoots uh, blue eyes is friend and causes all the, I forget the name is, He's in. He's. I forget the actor's name. He's in um, Oz and, and a few of those other early HBO shows. But he's the hothead who's like, I just don't trust apes, right? Yeah. They keep putting in the idea of like you're gonna, he, you're helpful, and you're gonna see that this is gonna be okay. They keep putting him in in places where he's around apes, right? Yeah. And and eventually until he makes things even worse. You have Koba who. You know, Caesar has a lament about this later on, that he he thought that apes were better than humans. He keeps allowing him to get second chances. And even after he uh, finds out, even after he confronts him after having fake killed him, he lets him get away again. Right? Like he said, I'm so sorry, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's that idea of like almost a misguided or a... um pathological faith in humanity that certain people don't deserve. And yeah. I think we see that in our our lives as well. There are many people who people keep going like, at the core, they must be good. And if we can just convince them or just get them the right information, they'll stop causing all of this harm. Or, yeah, they say these things, but they're actually not going to do it because who would do this bad action? And I, I, I think that's kind of the core of this movie's point, that like – through a combination of individual bad actors within societies and civilizations and the rest of the civilization or society's misguided optimism that they're savable, that it's going to constantly bring down those societies or cause significant harm to those societies. Yeah, yeah. Which which is a very – I mean it's a cynical view, 
yeah. or pra- pragmatic cynical view, but it, it's, you know, it feels very relevant. Yeah, I, last week you said something that I think really stuck with me, and it's the, in like a button, which is just like, a lot of society, the success of a society is predicated on its ability to mitigate the control of bad actors, yep. right? Mitigate the, the power of bad actors, right? And that's like, that's been ultimately the problem with like fascism in America, right? It's been like... <clears throat> Sure, I would love if every single neo-Nazi in this country had a bullet in their head, but like that's not a yeah. that's not a practical response that doesn't work on individual Nazis, right? Like that's not that's not how this works. The goal is ultimately to weaken weaken their power to the point that they can no longer influence their eyeballs, um, like they were in the nineties. Yes, yeah. Oh, you're a neo-Nazi. Oh, couldn't find any other club like. No yeah. one cared. It was a joke. Yeah, yeah. And then they, and then right, maybe wrong. down the line, give them opportunities to not turn into the worst people on the planet, right? Like, yeah. You know, you'll grow out of Nazis. People have opportunities to like just being more optimistic about it, being less. Obviously, I said something very fiery a minute ago, but like, yeah, giving them opportunities, like covering up their tattoos and shit. But like, yeah. you can't do that while they're still trying to take power under a inherently harmful system that does not operate with any other system right fascism does not coexist with any other system yeah um so that was something that stuck with me a lot the idea is like mitigating the harm of of these bad actors caesar who has lived in both worlds and is often accused of mixed allegiances um by by uh you know bad actors within his society coba and coba's followers which will become a thing even in the sequel yeah what he's seeing is the shittiness of both worlds, largely the human world. And he's saying, and he's realizing his power is not just like keeping people alive, right? That's obviously his like primary goal, but like um, his power is controlling the culture, right? Like mm-hmm. selecting visible public opportunities to show humility and visible mm-hmm. public opportunities to say like, this is not what apes are. And that's, there's a lot of conversation like ape does not kill and like what do apes actually do. Yeah. In this movie, at least, from for almost the entire runtime, Caesar is, is trying to guide like the principles of a emerging culture, and he seems to have some sort of grasp that like this is mm-hmm. he's playing with fire, right? <clears throat> um, and Koba is like somebody where he's like, I don't know if I want <laughs> us to be like uh, how chimps were before, where like we just like continually spar with these new emerging parties over and over again because. Mm-hmm. Chimps are warlike creatures too. Like you can, you can yeah. do your research on that. Like chip, chimps have pack disorder and they, they fight and kill each other. Just do your own research. Yeah. I mean that literally research. though. Like I don't want to rephrase uh, yeah. chimp uh, hierarchical structures for you. <laughs> like because one of one. Like do your research. Nobody wants. Well, Peter's saying that. I want to be clear. Go read research of people that have studied chimps. Do not go and get your own. Gathering of chimps, start observing them in the wild. You're not qualified. If you're listening to this podcast, I can say you're no Diane Fossey. (laughs) No. Or Flint Fossey. Go go read a goddamn book, but do not do your own research. (laughs) Yes. But the point there is I, uh, you know, just kind of using shorthand, like, he's trying to to guide the culture delicately on this, like, very fine line, um, tightrope walk, if you will. Yeah. Um, away from uh, the worst parts, the worst aspects of humanity, which is very often involved in prejudice against an entire group, right? So these movies do have some racial racial um, um, commentary, which is often, often based in like, oh, 
humans behave this way or apes behave this way and he's like trying to figure out a way to like thread that needle like no i yeah. apes are my number one priority but like this is not inherent to humans not every human on the planet is evil um it's just that when they get together they tend to be troublesome for us as a group and i need yeah. to treat them like the highest threat possible <laughs> yeah and his point was that hey peace and coexistence is possible and the thing is he was right however yeah. Peace still comes with, you know, I know this feels like related, probably a little bit too related too much to contemporary, like what's in the news today stuff. But in the same way, like you can't be a peace in our time absolutist and expect actual peace. You can't expect like all of these people to coexist peacefully because like Koba or that other guy that's prejudiced. or even Gary Oldman are not capable of exist of coexisting with each other. So if you allow them the freedom to say we're a peaceful society who gives freedom to everyone to coexist, there's going to be actors within that that fight against that. And then you're in this like it's the it's the paradox of tolerance or what or the paradox of free speech or whatever else that like you do get to a point where it's it's a bell curve where it starts once you get to a certain point of free speech, the more quote unquote like on paper free you give, the less free it actually becomes because you're giving freedom to threats of violence and everything else. Same thing with tolerance. You can't be tolerant of intolerance because that actually is antithetical to promoting tolerance. You can't be so focused on peace that you ignore that you allow peaceful coexistence between bad actors and people who are against peaceful coexistence. And that's what happens in this movie. So Caesar saying that he sees peace as possible was right, but he didn't do, he allowed Koba who was, did not want peace to continue to have all the same freedoms to, you know, go spy on the people with the guns and pursue his own agendas until peace became impossible. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, the, the, the reason that this movie, so we, we talked about in the last movie, the reason that the entire movie works and the illusion actually sells is because the family dynamic sells. Yeah. James Franco and John Lithgow, are they they sell the family conflict. It, it really does work. Um, in this movie, the reason it sells is because there is an entire middle section, basically, where you're like, hey, maybe this will work. Um, yeah. Just, you know there are bad actors out there. You know the bad actors are being mitigated as, as best as, as Caesar can and as best as... Um, who's our lead character's name? Uh, Jason Clark is Malcolm. Are you going to at least do the voice? Jason Clark? <laughs> <laughs> Just do the ad for his, his show. <laughs> Just do it. It's been years. No one remembers. I watched every episode of that show and I thought it was the worst show ever, but I do remember the preview. <laughs> Here, you, you, you take it. No, you. I can't do a good... You want me to do a Chicago accent? I want you in, to do a Chicago accent. In this, the year of our... The oh, bears. In, in this climate? The <laughs> <da, da> apes. The <laughs> <Da> apes. The <laughs> <Da> apes. <laughs> Say it. Come on. I just need... I won't uh, look at you. I'm looking away from the screen. The apes. <laughs> you gotta say, this is how we do things down in Chicago? Or whatever he says. <laughs> the star of the Chicago way. Yeah, the, yeah, it is the Chicago way. Uh, he's from Australia, apparently. So his accent well, he, being, I'll tell you what, he has stuck with that Chicago accent that he used to. This is how we do things way. in Chicago. 
No, I'm not even close. How are, you, how you... are we? I'm not. I don't know what how how thick he goes. Yeah, he's from Queensland. Ugh. Yeah, changes my entire perception. I don't know. Mm. I'll send you the preview. You can work on it on on the break. I uh, think all queens deserve their land. <laughs> I did that out. <laughs> Hold on, are you so like when you see like land post on f- Facebook, you're like comment underneath it like queens? <laughs> yes. Okay. I'm gonna edit that out I for sure. I'm gonna edit yeah. that out for sure. For sure. For, for sure. sure. Um. All right, Peter, you want to talk more about Dawn of the Planet of the Apes? Uh, that's the apes' way, baby. <laughs> That's how we do things down in. That's how we do, we do things down in San Francisco. <laughs> you meet lots of nice apes there. <laughs> Go take a ride on the streetcar. Maybe meet the dance from Full House. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's, right. let's talk about Don't Do On the Planet of the Apes. Let's do it. It gets darkest. What happens next? It tells what that was a terrible. It gets slight, well. It gets. It, it actually doesn't get darkest for Ton. It gets dark, and then it gets less light. Yeah. And it, it do you remember? Do you remember demotivation old posters that they yeah. were like kind of popular? The, my favorite one was always the "It's always darkest right before it goes pitch black." <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Uh, anyways, what happens in... Well, take us through Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah, yeah. So, the movie that you've uh, seen more times than Triple X. Then I've seen block- it more times than Shakespeare. <laughs> Bill Shakespeare? Yeah, the movie Shakespeare. Um, but, so, this movie is about these apes. And they're just mm. trying to have some fun in oh, the oh, jungle. Oh. Hold on. You it is great how this movie opens. You called it out last week where yeah. it's like if you didn't watch any of the other movie, it like yada yada is over. Uh yeah, yada yada everyone's dead. So um I don't know, like billions of people were like dead. Most people. You know how you know you know how you met people? Most of them were dead. <laughs> if you met two thousand people. Yeah. There's less than 2,000 people now because there's only one in 500. <laughs> yeah. One in 500 is not that much. <laughs> My uh, graduating uh, class was 467 or something. So you would be the there'd be I mean, no survivors. <laughs> that would be beating the odds, potentially. Yeah. It's like us yeah. in the one like private Christian school with 30 people that all dated. Yeah. Uh, combined, one of us survives. Yeah, yeah. In my family, uh, for example, one one person, I think, makes it is something that happens in this movie where I'm like, I understand eight to ten years have passed, um, yeah. but with, sometimes I'm like, you and your brother survived? <laughs> hmm, I don't know. The odds aren't good, buddy. <laughs> um, so the idea is every single person on the planet got this. 
And if you see a person, yeah. they got it. You got they it. They they kind of yada yada over it, but you're genetic. Which I think is great. That's not a criticism. I love it. No. They end the last one with it yada yadaing over to the credits. The next one begins with, hey, you know how you saw all those people getting sick? They're all dead now. The reason they have to get here is because not just getting closer to the, the point where the apes take over the planet, but like they need to make the dynamic such that like <clears throat> everybody is on their back haunches. Everybody is yep. in survival mode. Everybody is distrustful. Everybody has prejudices that you can quickly understand. Like, for some reason, they blamed the simians for the simian flu because that's what the media called it. The which, media called it the which simian is great. flu. Yeah. Um, I don't want to I don't want to be like a fucking, you know, hammer and everything looks like a nail, but it feels very COVID-y with everyone trying to sit like all the racists who are like trying to be like, oh, it's the China flu or the yeah. Asian flu or stuff like that. Like, I mean, this is. This is, they, they like had all this like anti ape graffiti. And so it does. And because it, it's true, like they release a report that like this lab released it. They were testing on apes and apes have gotten smarter. Like people know this. It's not a surprise. They know that apes have somehow gotten smarter and most people have died as a result of the simian flu. Yes. Um. So <clears throat> uh, remaining humans that are kind of like, you know, in California, West Coast have all kind of gathered in uh, San Francisco, in a gated community, um, <laughs> in a in a in a section of San Francisco, you still gotta have status. Yeah, <laughs> they've they've got they've got uh, walls, they've got protection, um, and at the same time, uh, on the other side of the Golden Gate Bridge, uh, in the jungle of the woods, um, the apes are hunting. So we're reintroduced to Caesar, who is, has a little bit more gray, a little bit more tiredness, um, a little bit more war paint. Yeah. It's been 10 years. Um, yeah. So they the culture has expanded. Um, more apes know human language, um, even if they lack some of the um, vocal so ability. I, I think, and I think this actually is confirmed in the next movie where there's apes unconnected to the Caesar clan. I think the thing is, is that this virus that spread... When it got to apes, which it did at some point because there's people around, it made them smart. So you actually have like a world – even though we're zoomed in on San Francisco, you actually have a worldwide phenomenon of apes getting smarter and um, and humans getting sick and dying. And those that grew up around humans or had time around humans and I guess had the capacity for it, uh, many of them learned the, the human language, but – in reality, the apes are almost entirely communicating with uh, something I'm going to call a uh, simian uh, sign language. Um, I'll get to that SSL. Yeah, SSL. I'm going to get to that in a sec. Because I did a little bit of research here. Um, and uh, the Caesar... So I talked about what the function of language was in the last movie. Caesar mostly uses human language to communicate broad ideas to humans. As these movies yeah. go on... He speaks longer and longer sentences, and he has more of an expectation that, like, the apes will listen to him if he has this command of language. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, but a lot of apes still use sign language, and Maurice is teaching them uh, some version of ASL um, that uh, we're going to call SSL. Um, so, uh, I did a little bit of research here. I don't have anywhere else to park this, but I do want to talk about it. So I read, um, I read some stuff by a few linguists, um, 
and a few just kind of casual movie fans and, and people with um, either linguists that study um, sign language um, or people that uh, are hard of hearing or, or deaf, um, depending on their how they identify and watch this movie. And the, res- the results were very mixed. Um, some people are like, it was just cool to see any sign language done on this scale, particularly like mm-hmm. there being scenes where I didn't have to read the subtitles at all. Um, and that you could read in a lot of scenes, particularly as the movies go on, you could read facial in, 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 um, impressions at the same time you're reading the, the hands, because that's something that's an underrated part of sign language. Yeah. Which is like, you're reading, reading facial, tone. you're reading Not the face and the hands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that they like that, like, because there's real actors in there, you're getting a little bit of both. Right. Um, the flip side of that is that they inherently are making up some signs, um, mm-hmm. which I think is fine because like. Every country, every group of hard of hearing people or deaf people uh, creates some sort of variation on language. That's how yeah. language works. Um, but they were saying sometimes it was inconsistent, right? They'd be communicating similar ideas in different ways. And they're like, why would they have two ways of saying this? Like, isn't this the first generation with language? Like, <laughs> yeah. so it's, they said it's, 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 I guess, the sort of on balance. It's sort of like, uh, nice try. Really, Good effort, really great. Yeah. Good effort, um, but not a runaway success uh, in terms of a sign language thing. Um, but yeah, some people are like, this isn't ASL at all. And I'm like, but you just said two paragraphs earlier that language evolves. And, you know, the Jamaican version of sign language is very different than the American version of sign yeah. language. Right. Um, but yeah, so that was something I wanted to throw in and something I might touch on as, as we go along. But yeah, they, they now are like constructing not just... It's been 10 years. They're not just constructing, um, like, their own societies, their own cultures. They're also constructing, like, language systems that, like, they teach. And education. And education systems, right? Like. Yeah. Yeah. And they all. Well, and that's partially because of what we talked about. Caesar is very focused not just on starting a society and building a community, but by starting a society that corrects the mistakes of the past that he personally experienced in some ways even though koba is really like his his history with humans and trauma is going to lead to the the downfall of a of the peace through here caesar's in some ways operating the same way he is trying to take his which most of us do right he's taking his experience and saying how can i change what's come before and so it's a society that's it's really based on caesar's idea that apes are better and can be better than people yeah yeah yeah. and um people are operating off of uh tears just the way that the apes are operating off of tears just the way humans are they have a presenting face they have a level of patience that they're willing to go to and they have an ultimate goal and then they have a petty version of themselves right like Mm -hmm. this is what i do when i'm scared and stressed out right and that's something we're going to talk about as the movie goes on so anyways uh they're hunting uh they're hunting um wildlife i think it's like deer um, and we yep. get reintroduced to the characters. Koba uh, is loyal to Caesar, but he's kind of starting to challenge him lightly. And then as the movie goes on, it'll it'll get stronger and stronger until the point they have a violent conflict. Um, Caesar has a son um, who is... Blue Eyes. Blue Eyes, yes. Has a son, Blue Eyes. Um, he's married now. He has a little boy um, as well who uh, is born uh, right Cornelius. at the beginning in sort of a... Yep. Yeah, Cornelius. Uh, a lot of these names are references to, yeah, future Planet of the Apes movies. Very cool, sort of like almost. Um, yeah, I mean that's how generational names work. Yeah, right? Like, yeah, right. It's it's uh, it's like you're not the first Peter. No, no, that's ever existed. 
Yeah. Um, we get to see both the home life and this, like, sort of, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it other than, like, you know, Endor kind of thing. Or Moon yeah. Endor kind of thing. Um, it's like a tree village. They don't, they don't need a lot. They have some, they have some fire for warmth. They bring food back. They have organization. They have education systems. They have doctors. Do you notice the fact that the doctors were wearing, um, rudimentary face masks? Uh, no, I didn't notice that, but. I mean, sense. it might've been a religious thing, but I thought it was a science thing. They were wearing. Oh yeah. No, you're right. When they're giving, when they're faces. giving birth. Yeah. yeah. When Cornelia, when Cornelia, Caesar's wife. Yeah. Played by uh, Judy Greer, who, if she did have to do motion capture, I actually feel bad for her because I had to look up that Judy Greer plays. I think she has three lines between the two movies. And uh, I mean, pretty underserved. Um, we talked about in the last movie the uh, very talented actors that are just completely overqualified for what they're being asked to do here. Yeah. Judy Greer, Carrie Russell, um, Cody oh, Smith yeah. McPhee. I think all three of them. <laughs> could have been could have been uh, way less talented actors could have been way more more you know maybe up and coming kind of actors um not these established actors that already kind of yeah they don't get to do much yeah i mean gary Cole even gary oldman gets a scene but you're kind of like did they need gary oldman for this gary oldman gets yeah he gets one powerhouse cry scene and then he gets uh one villain speech and that's great villain. i mean he's good at that but I mean, yeah, like you said, overqualified in the movie for five minutes. Basically. He's the he's the John Lithgow of this movie, where he's like really good in a role that needs to be really good, but like it probably didn't need John Lithgow in that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyways, um, so yeah, we're kind of getting the dynamic right. They're they're on either side of the Golden Gate Bridge, um, and uh, what happens is a, a party is going through the woods. They don't know that the apes are smart yet. This is uh, no, they do. Person. They've heard they've heard rumors. They've been they, they, they've, they've heard the, the, none of them are confirmed. They're all like, holy shit. They've never talk. met. Yeah, they've never met them before. And yeah. uh, one of them goes, holy shit, that the monkey just talked or whatever. Right. Yeah. So, so the guy who I was thinking of, the kind of the prejudice against apes hothead is uh, his name's Carver, but he's played by Kirk Aceveda, who's in who's like a TV mainstay. Uh, Oz, Fringe. That yeah. kind of thing, yeah. So he is, uh, he's in the woods, and he runs into uh, Ash and um, uh, Blue Eyes, and they, um, Ash and Blue Eyes, and he shoots. Oh, actually, um, hold on, really quick, just so you, Casey comes back. The opening scene where they're hunting deer, Blue Eyes goes goes off a little bit where he shouldn't have, gets attacked by a bear, gets all scratched up, which is actually oh, yeah. very helpful, like... I think they probably did it so, like, you need to know that this is Caesar's son, and like, I mean, in close this, up, it's in close up, it's easy. In far away, it's not. It, right? It's not. So they he has yeah. slashes across his chest for the rest of these two movies, which uh, is incredibly important to be able to identify it. Quick look. I'm not. I'm not one of those. All chimps look the same. People here, <laughs> but it is an issue. Koba looks it? different. It is an issue. They can't avoid it. Even in yeah. um, even in fights with Koba, who has a very distinct, very yeah. scary. He got bad guy face. face. Yeah. Fuck. He's got a fucked up face because he has been like a lab animal that's been tossed around between mm-hmm. different labs before he even got got yeah. to Genesis. And at some um, point when he was a kid, he you know made a face, and his parents were right. <laughs> froze that way. Stuck. Um. Anyways, uh, this uh, the asshole human um ends up shooting um uh bright eyes right. Or he nope. shoots Ash. Ash, shoots Ash and Blue Eyes. Bright Eyes was uh was was Caesar's mom. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Uh, so eyes. he ends up shooting he ends up shooting um uh, Ash, Ash. Uh, yeah. 
uh, and uh, they end up Ash. It's non fatal, but they end up carrying Ash off. Um, and they, they do, and there's this great scene where like all the apes jump up and take Kirk Aceveda and are like, "You're fucked," yeah. and he's just like, "Oh no, yeah." And very, dude. Yeah, I, I, I may have may have blew my load. Yeah. Um, he 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 gets very he gets very um scared and especially when they start speaking. Um, yeah. And uh, oh yeah, they uh, this movie uses the first time they speak powerful what, what is the line they use hold on oh it's oh, I, go I, I got it. go yeah. Yeah. so they all are surrounding them in the trees they yell go um, and all are barking it's very powerful it's 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 yeah. a mirror of the powerful scene of the first movie anyways we're yeah. setting up a conflict where um the humans have been scared back to their land and now that they have knowledge that knowledge is very dangerous and now that yeah. the apes have knowledge that knowledge is very dangerous they know that there is a violent conflict that can erupt at any miscommunication the humans are trying to get through ape territory to get to a hydroelectric dam yeah. they need it um in order to provide power and warmth for particularly for the winter and uh on a higher plane uh, more or less immediate plane they need it to contact they know that there's armies up north if they contact them they can get in contact with remaining groups of people and have a broader human level connection and um, on a more personal level society. this what this sounds like a joke but i mean gary oldman is almost personally motivated because he wants to charge his ipad because that's mm-hmm. where all his picture of his dead family are on yeah, yeah, it, it's yeah. sort of like a it's sort of like a reveal at one point that he had an entire family that was lost, and um, his iPad's been plugged into the wall since the power turned off. I think they ran through nuclear, they ran through coal. Um, yeah, town is town is is not going to make it through the winter. Yeah, without it is a, it's an interesting like it's such a minor. I mean, it's not a minor point for Gary Oldman's character, but that idea of like if you lose power, if there was an apocalypse, how many printed out pictures do you have of your loved ones? And <laughs> yeah, like you know, like all yeah. of his pictures are on this iPad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've got um, I was gonna say I've got, I've got uh six in my house. They're all wedding photos. Um, <laughs> so uh, yours? Yeah, I've, got, I've got more than that. Um, yeah. Hope uh, no uh, ones that came in the frame. Oh, um, so they always look so happy. They just they looked yeah happy. The lighting was better at their wedding. Yeah. Um, but well, the uh, Jason Clark's character is like, I need to avoid war. Caesar's character mm-hmm. is like, yeah, they, they, they both are right. Like we both just lost so many people. Like if we have a war, people are gonna die, and 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 Caesar's not willing to let apes die, even a few. And Jason Clark's like, how many people are we down? What we're gonna lose? 10% of what of all the humans that may be left on Earth to fight some apes for a, a dam? Like, that's not going to work. Yeah. And so what ends up happening is the apes put on a show of force. They show up outside the gates to let them Great. know that, like, Amazing we're scene. not just disorganized animals. We are here. You need to respect our boundaries. Um, stay on your side. And uh, before Jason Clark doesn't even get a chance to... Uh, doesn't even get a chance to to be like, hey, actually, I we don't we don't want war. We just literally need it's over. Okay, I'll I'll actually I'll catch up with you later. It's it's cool. It's cool. Um, but there's a extremely powerful wide wide shots of all the apes surrounding this sort of like and run, running into the fortress. I I'm not a score person. Um, I'm just like I'm. This is not. I'm not big on like. Oh, I listened to that movie score. I always feel like, look, if you're gonna make music, great. You've done half the work. You want to complete the job, add some, ly- add some lyrics to it. I don't know. Like, 
you know, score is a lazy person's music. I say it all the time. Uh, even techno, they at least say say a phrase like that's it, that's it. It's not much effort. Just say like you know, bang with another one of those block rocking beats. Move on with your life. It's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. But in this case, I do want to note that I really like that when they are all running towards San Francisco, um, they uh, they use all these score cues from the original Planet of the Apes. Yes. It's a, it's, it's so the percussion. It's like yeah, it's a, like it has uh, it, it feels like some original series Star Trek stuff. Yes. Like it was immediately recognizable, uh, even as someone who is not a score person, uh, and just was like, oh, score beyond this rules so hard. It's so good. Um, yeah, the score the scores in these movies can be fairly just like uh, we're just we're just. You know, I'm kidding. I just I just don't know that much about scores. We're just highlighting uh, the emotional scores. point beats of a scene. It's not technically yeah. all that memorable, but there are there are some really nice little moments there. And one of them I was going to highlight is yes, they use this percussive these percussive sort of um, touches from the original score and from that were very big in the '60s. And then they also use yeah, like a, um, a, a specific sort of horn cues that are mm-hmm. just like oh something like unique like you don't hear that yeah. kind of that kind of sound in uh, modern scores at all yeah. um but yeah most of the score is kind of anonymous except for there's a few few good beats in, in this one and, and in the next one the last movie score i can't remember a single time where i was like they 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 do it again and and they do uh they do some 60s callback stuff in in the war and those are the parts that i that i noticed but yeah, yeah. everything else feels pretty generic blockbuster so but I always feel that way, and that's actually what I'm saying. Like my just, I don't have a good ear for those sort of things in, in most cases. Where I'm like, oh my god, I'm blown away. I'm always, I'm always amazed when I see a movie and then I see someone post about not only was the movie was great, I've been listening to the score nonstop for a week, and I'm like, I wouldn't have even like couldn't even tell you what. Like it's just not something that sticks out for me. So it's yeah, but like. The movie scores that I generally listen to are scores that you would like. You you know what they feel like when you're listening to, right? Like the Mandy score. Um, I really like. The yeah, I mean score, those those are. Score. I mean, we're, we've talked about those, like those John Carpenter like synthes mm-hmm. or it follows. Like those mm-hmm. are exceptions to prove. I'm just saying, like I feel like I people are like, oh, I saw Dune and oh my god, the Dune score. It's like I love Dune and I'm, I think the music was good, but I don't like. It's, it's just not something score. I. I don't. I don't notice it. It's, um, it's it's my it's my fault. Not anyone. Not not the scores. I get it. Like I've yeah. tried. It's um. But it is. It is. It sometimes it's just like it's at a base level. All it's doing is just sort of like adding emotional punch. Yeah. Sort of guiding your emotions and on, on how much you're supposed to like rise to this moment. And how much you're supposed to kind of chill out. Um. Yeah. But in 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 great scores, I can recognize. But like, I, it's not something I listen to for every fucking movie I watch. Yeah. Um. I actually got this is gonna this is way too much of a tangent. You know what score? I've never seen the movie, but ha, but mm. the movie has a really great score is in the, the air up there. Is it the Theory of Everything? The oh. Stephen Hawking movie. <laughs> sure, I don't remember the, the score. The movie the score is, is amazing. Movie yeah, is the score score is incredible. Um, but anyways, I, I I listen to scores a lot. Um, especially when I'm working. Um, hey, you like to so, score? <laughs> score. Um, okay, so where are we at? So, Jason Clark is at a dilemma. He needs to go risk his, his life and limb to go and make a deal with uh, the, the chimps. Um, and Talk about pride. I know they came here with, like, a thousand of them to yell at us from horseback. I can talk to them. Uh, all right, I'll, I'll fucking figure it out, okay, dude? Look. We'll fucking figure it out. Look, these, these apes that I just learned could talk, they're going to listen to reason. 
<laughs> there is sort of an implication like him and Gary Oldman have a functional friendship, but Gary Oldman yeah. is like warmongering. He's like, I want to yeah. wipe all of them out. Um, yeah. He's like, what if we didn't have to? And he's like, I really want to wipe all of them out. Um, and he's like, because Gary Oldman is scared, right? He's he's scary, Goldman. Scary yeah. old man. Yeah. Um, and he uh, and he's like, if you just give me like three days, I'm going to go figure it out. He goes... Uh, the apes are super distrustful to him. They they know rules were set. Uh, yeah. They literally carry him to to Caesar's uh, throne, make him make him lay in the mud. And Caesar is like, you know what? This sort of compromise that costs us nothing but a little bit of trust yeah. uh, can can get us there. So Caesar and uh, and, and Bacoba is like, hey, so you're gonna give them what they want, which is power to operate all their machinery. And remember, Koba, like, understands, I think, the uh, concept of power as a violent force mm-hmm. or a potentially violent force because he was kept in labs with equipment and other things that, like, had a – that were run on power, right? They they, – they, they, he, he was impacted by that. So he's like, you're going to give them everything they want and then they're going to have the means to destroy us. I, I, and Caesar's exactly. like, no, I trust him. Yeah, yeah. He, Caesar is like, I trust him, but like, it's a what's the what's the term in the business world? Trust but verify. Like, yeah, trust. We're but gonna go I'm with gonna watching. <clears throat> we're gonna go with them. I'm gonna watch their every fucking step. Um, and Koba is like, I'm not doing that. I'm gonna go investigate what they're up to. So what Koba immediately does is he goes and he sees that they're preparing for war. They are uh, unlocking an armory. Yeah, um, from rooms full of, of guns. Yeah. And rooms full of guns um, and soldiers that are te- doing testing shots. And Koba is doing um, sort of reconnaissance with a couple other apes that are loyal to him. Yeah. Um, and he gets his hands on on some guns. Well, he um, gets caught. He, he gets, gets caught digging around the, in, like, one of the most chilling scenes of the movie. Yeah. So let's let's break this apart a little bit. Yeah. Koba goes the first time and he plays dumb. Um, he does something that's really, uh, really t- savvy that the movie does, which is that humans continually under underappreciate the intelligence of the force that they're stepping on. So in the last movie, it was more of like an imperialist or, you know, con- like a little bit of a John Hammond. Yeah. If you're talking about an intelligent species, I would say it's 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 imperialist, right? Like, yeah, literally yeah. control keeping higher level creatures in cages and testing on them, separating them from their young, like operating with them to that point and then killing them when you're done with them like that's you know we don't think about that in terms of <laughs> non-humans but like say it's um, bad yeah it's bad and then uh one of the the best strongest techniques in revolution is to make the uh your oppressor undermine your intelligence or uh mm-hmm. make your oppressor uh, underestimate i should say your intelligence um, th- uh, make them think that uh, you have fully subjected to their will and that you're too stupid to, to fight back. Um, and that really helps uh, your revolution take off because they start releasing safety measures, right? And they start yeah. being more easy around you. They start being more trusting. And that's Comfortable. A great time to, it's a great time to put your hands around their neck, right? Um, so uh, the, the, the COBA kind of takes a note here um not from reading but just from instinct he's like oh they think i'm a dumb ape and he starts playing like a big clownish dumb ape and like oh, oh, ah, like the full the full thing um yeah and like they're like the, ah, yeah, right the, the, the lips out clapping for himself when he does a roll and making them come like turning them from a threat to a annoyance 
villains. Yeah, a, a something to laugh at because he's yeah. making them feel superior, um, yeah. which is the best way to make someone um, weak, right? Yeah. Um, so he he does all this the first time, and then he comes back, and he has specific intentions um, because he the soldiers that he ran into before, he runs them again, and they do the same thing. They're, like, pointing guns at them, and then he does the same thing. He's playing rolling, and he gets really close, and he's fucking around with them. He takes their bottle of scotch and, like, drinks it and then does a spit spits take. It out. And yeah, spits it out. Laughs and claps with them and smacks them on a shoulder and, like, kind of plays buddy-buddy with them. And then, yeah, in the, in the what I think is the most chilling shot in the three movies, um, he um, picks up the machine gun, and then they're, like, kind of weary. Yeah, uh, like, oh, watch shoots. out there, buddy, because he's, he's swinging it on his finger and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then Koba lights up one of them. Um, and a scene that feels incredibly, there's stuff in this that feels incredibly violent for PG-13. Um, yeah. Just, like, in terms of uh, yeah, my, emotional my- emotional impact. Yeah, Maya watched all three of them. There was yeah. uh, there, was, there was some stuff that probably did a little bit of damage. They feel rated R in terms of impact. Like you, 100%. You, not just there, and there's a lot of blood. Like there is. Let's talk about let's talk about the sound design a little bit here while I'm in the middle of this moment because so let's talk about the sound design here in the, in the middle of this moment. So um, machine guns don't make pop 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 noises in real life. Um, assault rifles make a sound that's uh, it sounds like a bullet. It sounds like a, it's ripping through the air. It's it's truly like an explosion of reality. Thundercrack. Right? It's something that no human being should have in their hands, right? Um, it's 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 a violation of of everything. Um, so it makes a tearing noise, and then you can hear in terms of sound design, you can hear like the sound of bullets impacting bo- bodies flesh Mm -hmm. being impacted right it's not just like shoot 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 and then someone silently falls over it's like um you can you can hear just sort of the body the person just sort of slumping over under the the sandbags and then he lights the other one up and then we're introduced to this idea that the apes know that a way to get leverage is to adopt the methods of man yeah awful fucking machine guns um another piece to note here just great think thinky thinky just through your concept right is is it's like nerd shit like if you're an ape you have the strength of like four people or whatever yeah you can you can one hand an assault rifle with minimal recoil because you're four you're theoretically three to five times stronger than a person right yeah um, that's what so, mike mcnola knew in that yeah scene. yeah yeah yeah, um, that's why. Yeah, he's got he's he's got Hellboy's got his big big ass cannon, right? Um, so he uh, he lights up this other dude with the assault rifle, and it's like a very scary sequence. And Koba's making this sort of like exasperated, like <sighs> sort of breathing, and it's just it's 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 violent sound design. Like it's 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 part it of the reason this movie works so well. It's overbearing it, too. Yes. Yeah. And I want to talk about this. I want to take this as a moment to break a little bit to talk about the war photography as we're kind of headed towards the war. This movie really helped me, helped codify to me how much children of men influenced the look of um, a lot of American drama and action movies uh, in the past 20 years. Um, Almost 20 years since it came out, which is crazy. Children of Men was the Lubezki filmography. Lubezki, Lubezki cinematography is very much focused on long takes, making um, kind of getting a little bit away from the uh, pure steady cam um, mm. operation and sort of modernizing it, but without going full Paul Greengrass, right? Um, so it has the 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 sort of ghostly 
documentarian sort of feel of um of of maybe a, a, a um actual docu- wartime documentary but it has this this ghostly sort of steady cam kind of operation as yeah. well and it knows when to sway with the natural beats of, of a person of a human being um it's very hard to describe but you can tell it when you can feel the the, the how much dust is there and you can see this in cloverfield i think cloverfield's ob- most obvious stylistic reference is is children of men uh, particularly the war scenes in the second half yeah, this movie, all the long takes, um, all of the ways that the camera just sort of seems to like, in a very ghostly way, sort of like float through chaos and give it a sense of st- like awful stillness. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very much conjures Children of Men. It feels like Cloverfield was a direct setup for the action sequences in this and the long takes, particularly yeah. of Jason Clark, like running through a building trying to avoid apes that are just hunting humans down. And this sort of violent scene and the war we're coming to is all straight children of men shit. It's great. Yeah. No, that's a great call out. And as someone who, to my own shame, finally saw children of men just a few years ago, I get a hundred, like the comparison didn't stand out to me the first time I saw this, mainly because I hadn't seen children of men, but that, you know, uh, I could, that touch point is a perfect call out. It, It makes so much sense. And you're right. There are these long scenes that are allowed to play out in a way that like, enhances the impact and the brutality and just also the overall emotional distance to what's happening too yeah and and you can see this even in children of men is super influential and you can see this even in video games um like last of us and the new god of war games straight Mm -hmm. up trying to mimic the children of men and the revenant camera work (laughs) Yeah. yeah no i agree i mean one of the one of the most memorable parts of of Children of Men is uh, when one, I forget which character's name is, but he dies. Uh, and then you sit through a 30 second loading screen. <laughs> and I think, I think God of War took that and just ran with it. Yeah. I um, really, really ran with it. People, um, people say, people always say that game's like, Oh, it's like one long take. It's like, Oh, not if you die as much as I do. There's tons, <laughs> tons of pauses. Yeah. There's We're actually different. old word. There's tips on the screen for how I could make it a longer take by not dying as often. Every time I do die. Yeah. Um, you blew the take Aaron. Yeah. I, you blew I the take. <laughs> You have to start over at the beginning so that you you don't ruin the full shot. Uh, (laughs) So part of the reason, though, that Koba does decide to go back there is that while everyone's getting along and they're exchanging, um, what book does he give? He gives uh, like the kid gives uh, Maurice a bookie. Black Hole? Black Hole? Talk about this. Have you read Black Hole? No, I own it. It's on my list. It is one of the weirdest books for somebody to share with a fucking orangutan, man. Like, there's a lot of weird books to share with an orangutan, yeah. but leave with, like, Robinson Crusoe or something, you could, like, share, like... I mean, like, the pic- that's too too dense word-wise. You gotta have some illustration. I mean, he is a chimp who's learning to read. Like, Okay, l- let me tell you what... Let me tell you what Black Hole is about. So, it doesn't work... It, I really like that book. I read it, whatever, 15 years ago, and then I read it again, like, five years ago. Um... It is a book about a bunch of teenagers just getting high and stuff in like this a sort of 70s, 80s kind of setting. Yeah. Uh, getting high, hanging out, and there's a virus going around, an STD going around that's getting, um, get, making everyone mutate. Um, and it's sort of this like melancholy sort of coming of age story, but it's also about 
um, STDs and how as we get older we change and our real characteristics come out and the things that make us horrifying can also make us beautiful. Like it's a, it's a really cool, strange, kind of fucked up body horror uh, book with a message. Mm-hmm. I have no fucking clue on planet Earth why you would want a, an ape to read that. <laughs> I mean, like, it could just be like it was the book he had. Uh, yes, yes. But he's the like, movie... I, I, he's like, I'm not having sex, so I didn't get this book at all. But maybe you'll get it. The movie is as an orangutan. The the movie is. I can see my copy right there. Um, yeah, that's fine right there. Um, <laughs> they, I mean, they don't make a big thing of like, here, Maurice. Here's my favorite book, Black Hole. He just gives it to him. Like you have to, you have to be familiar with the. With the cover of the book to know what it is. I'm just like, I'm looking around the room and I'm like, and I'm like, what books would you want to share with an ape? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I wouldn't share a superhero thing with them, but like, I, I can see the, I can see the challenge, but like, maybe like something about like, here was like blankets or something like here or uh, um, fun home or something that's like about what life was like before all of this instead it's like matt reeves is like oh man i read this book and it was really rad (laughs) you think it should have been like something a little more patronizing like here's the mouse and the motorcycle i guess (laughs) oh it's kind of up your alley like you're an ape doing things there's a mouse you rode a motorcycle are you talking about Stuart little no i'm I'm talking about the mouse and the motorcycle i'm joking (laughs) You never read the mouse and the motorcycle? No, but I do know. I do know that Stuart Little rides motor vehicles. <laughs> oh well, he might. That, but that's E. B. White. That's Charlotte. Charlotte Webb. Um, uh, mouse and the motorcycle was Ramona. It was Beverly Cleary mm-hmm. who wrote that Beverly famous Cleary. famous book. Um, book about a mouse and a motorcycle. Nobody cares. <laughs> People liked Ramona and Henry Huggins and his dog Ribsy. Um, Where do um, they all bees from? <laughs> um, so part of the reason that Koba though went back is that there's the Aceveda. There's a confrontation again. The same guy. They bring him out, and he get. He's like. Yeah, he's he decides that Blue Eyes is up to something, and he puts a shotgun in his face, and Caesar it, like calms down the situation, and Koba sees hears hears about it and is like, this guy who already shot Ash puts a shotgun in your son's face, and you still don't do anything. That's where he's, you know, the, there's a lot in this movie about how chimp hierarchy is controlled by strength, and at that point, Koba decides that. That Caesar is weak. He doesn't even... First, he doesn't protect the herd. And now... And the civilization as a whole through an obvious threat in these humans. And now he won't even protect his own family. And that causes Koba to go back and kill those guys and, and to take take the guns. He immediately goes back in... If it wasn't so chilling, would be almost hu- humorous. They're all celebrating that they turn the dam on at the ape uh, home... And it's raining, and and Caesar looks, and there's Koba off in the corner, and he just, like, slowly raises an assault rifle at him and shoots him. It's not funny in the scene, but there is, like, a little bit of just, like, the 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 the, the visualization is so, like, striking. Just a one-handed assault rifle getting raised to shoot Caesar, and he gets shot, and... Um, 
he took this gun from the Aceveda guy, the guy that's been causing all these problems. And he is like, hey, I found this. Koba comes out like, hey, what happened? Hey, what happened? Um, hey, what happened? I found this. I found this gun. Hey, isn't this this asshole's gun? Well, now look, you shot Caesar. And of course, for all the reasons, everyone buys it. Maurice looks at Jason Clark and is like, run. Like, they are going to kill you. Get out of here. Uh, and and Koba immediately, in a very shrewd move, goes and turns blue eyes on his side, knowing that people will not just rally around him, but will rally around the son of their fallen and beloved leader. Where he's like, look what they did. You need to go kill these people and take revenge. They've taken your father. And Blue Eyes is immediately conscripted into this revenge thing. Although he is, you know, he doesn't have a bloodlust, so he feels conflicted, but also feels like it is his duty to avenge his father, who has died. And of course, my eight-year-old is like, is he dead? Is he dead? Is Caesar really dead? And I said, well, you can watch the movie. And that was not, that was not taken as a good answer. So instead I said, well, think about it. You never saw his body and he rolled off screen and he's the main character. And she's like, oh, so he's alive. I'm like, yes. You've seen enough movies. He is, in fact, alive. But yeah, they go immediately and fucking... You're like, no. Sit in the sadness. (laughs) Yeah. This movie is very committed to... All these movies are like... In some ways, you could say they're just creatively like, how do we get chimps on horses with guns and uh they succeed a there's noble a full cause right? a noble cause they're trying to but they they do a full assault into the uh into the human compound in this like great 15 minute battle scene yeah yeah it's 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 incredible um this is one of those sequences where humans are underrating their intelligence as well gary oldman is like yeah there's a lot of them but like We've got the firepower. We don't have all the guns, but we we're, we are stocked up here. They start distributing assault rifles. Yeah. We'll just shoot them. They got we'll those spears. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Just like, you know, wait. And then they come through the fog because it's a nighttime attack um, in foggy San Francisco. And they come through the fog and they start firing assault rifles because they raided the armory on their way yeah. in. <laughs> um, mercilessly killing lots and lots of, of soldiers. Um and uh, they start firing at the the sort of forward forward posts, right? So the humans are really cramped in, and they can only do so much to like repel the attack. But lo- watching this is the thing I discussed last week, where the filmmaking is really punchy. Um, the violence is very punchy. It's very direct. It feels it it feels very like um, realistic in terms of yeah. like. It does not feel apes don't just silently fall off camera like apes like fall off horses and the horses fall over and you can hear the sound and the impact of, of, of it happening. And um, like the violence is like ripping through lines and apes are trying to take cover and scrambling from when their horse goes down. And, and, and it's it, it has a sense of like terrifying chaos that that reminded me of children of men as well because there will be longer takes particularly an insane long take where. Um, in a counterattack, the humans uh, bring in a tank um, and start firing uh, on their flank. Um, oh, yeah. Where, where well, it does that great scene of it's turning around 360 so, degrees. So, yeah. So, the camera in a, in a sort of... Um, in a sort of long take uh, extension, it, it, the camera, like, climbs up on top of the turret of the tank as Copa comes in, kills everyone inside the tank, takes control of the machine gun of the tank, and we get to see Copa firing... 
like a 50 cal at, at all these um at all these 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 uh um the command positions and crashes a tank into the front gate. Um, we obviously also get the shot from the trailer. The trailer, like this is the selling shot, is Kova on the back of a horse firing two M249 like saws, like <laughs> pointed forward, uh, charging forward. Um, and he can fire them one handed because he's a fucking chimp and he's like super powerful. Um, ins- insane, insanely beautiful gorgeous sequence reminds me of cloverfield and that it's all kind of lit in this yellow street light sodium light thing because the power's on yeah <laughs> the, po- the power's on so like it's because the they succeeded there should yeah. be peace that i mean that is really like this is their bl- big for the most part blockbuster fight scene there's a little bit at the end it is one of the only big blockbuster action set pieces i can think of where you're not rooting for anyone you just want it to end, right? Like both people's concern, Jason Clark's that we don't have humans to lose. And Caesar saying, I don't want chimps to die. Their dreams goes off, goes, goes up in this incredibly violent, prolonged battle. You are seeing chimp after chimp mowed down in brutal blood and humans like who is winning from this so like you just I, I can't think of another movie besides like an actual war movie but even then you usually have your heroes these are two groups fighting that you're not rooting for either of them you just want it to stop because there's no point for this to happen and i think um i think that's i mean they just do an amazing job and of course you have blue eyes throughout the whole thing who is like seeing the death knowing this wasn't his father's legacy and and cowering cowering through this brutality, um, and that leads to them. They basically take all the humans and put them as prisoners. They put the chimps. He puts them in cages, uh, mm-hmm. reminiscent of where we're going with with Plan of the Apes. And then in the most terrifying scene, where he instructs uh, someone to I forget who it is. I thought it was Rocket, but it's not because Rocket plays a huge part in in the third. But one of the chimps, who does he kill? So he kills Rocket's son Ash. Um, that's what so, so he does kill so ash yeah ash uh ash is has recovered from his bullet wound and ash is following koba into that's right. a lar- into like a large like museum or a bank or something and uh they ash refuses to kill a human um so uh to make an example of him uh koba says uh says like caesar's not here anymore and then throws him off in a very horrifying sad because he yeah. makes he makes like sad animal noises as he's going down. Yeah. Um, and then has a loud at the bottom. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, he kills Ash just for disobey- disobeying an order. Yeah. Um, and he says, you know, I'm in charge now. And if anybody has any questions, you know, straight yeah. up. Vil- it's, it's a very classic like villain thing. You see it in, I think, every single James Bond movie. <laughs> yeah, but it also is the like. His whole, you realize that Koba, even though like there is something that you can blame on his trauma and his distrust of humans, which feels fair, he started this cause wanting to protect Ash and doing it for Ash. And then Ash got shot. And then when Ash, like whatever good intentions he had through this horrific violent, goes away immediately because he kills the person for disobeying him, which was theoretically his cause was never about obedience, but about justice. And he kills the person that he is, is one of the main points about like, uh, 
one of the main people that he's trying to bring justice to. So, Koba's full of shit. And it's, I mean, it's it's a fairly pat sort of thing to have, right? Like, that revenge is sort of an endless yeah, cycle. Still like, you, you always are just going to be chasing it. It's not satisfying. It's, you don't have a sense of satisfaction at the end. Yeah. Um, so to fast forward a little bit, they find Caesar. He's fine. If anybody was waiting in suspense, well, he's, have you seen he's this movie good. before? Yeah, he's good. Um, he's, in the, he's in the third one. I don't know if yeah. you know that. Like yeah, he's, um, we he's on the cover of the third one. Those those aren't flashbacks. He survives this movie. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, Jason Clark finds him. I think Carrie Russell's there too because she's a vet and she's very underserved by this movie as well. They bring him back to she's his house. Maybe my favorite drama of like the the 2010s. It's like that and Better Call Felicity. <laughs> the the Amer- is it the Americans? It's the Americans. Um, so he, uh, but yeah, he, they bring him back to the James Franco house. Watch old movies of his, of him being a kid. Molly and I had the same question. So San Francisco is not a small town. Um, they just happened to go to James Franco's old house. Oh no. I thought he directed him to like, I thought there's Stop like here. A... Pull over here. <laughs> Take a left. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I mean, that's the most obvious 10th, thing. 10th street. Right. It's sort of I, I, there's, it couldn't have been an accident. It's like, implied. Yeah. It's implied. It all. It reminds me very much of it, like the. Why do they keep bringing the shithead with to the dam? It's because the shithead. They implied that the shithead has some sort of special knowledge. Like maybe he worked yeah. at the dam before the the war or whatever. Right. This guy's um, got all this damn knowledge. He's got all this damn knowledge. It's implied, but the movie doesn't really step on the button too hard. So sometimes you yeah. like take a step back and you're like, they just ended up in this random ass. They just keep bringing this dipshit back. <laughs> um, He's like, yeah, I, wanted they... to, I wanted to piss on the neighbor's kid's house. <laughs> In a movie that I think I want actually... you fuckers. <laughs> <laughs> it was all about revenge, but for yeah. but for uh, him marking Caesar still got petty revenge. Yeah. yeah, but, you know, it's affecting. Like, especially watching it so close when he's up, like, in his old room looking out that, like, window with the cross symbol or whatever on it. Like, it's it's watching the video of him as a baby. Like... They spend so much time of that in Rise of the Planet of the Apes, as we talked about last week, that it's still affecting when, like, he goes back to it and realizes, like, you know, pardon the, like, mince terms, but there's, like, a humanity that's been lost there. Yeah. And it's, it's um, the whole point, right, is that Caesar is trying to not become um, uh, Koba, and he's trying to not, which is a big thing in the next movie, he's also trying to not become too, too cold and callous and, and forget where he came from, right? He's supposed to remember that humans humans are uh, are not a group of um, uh, it's not a mono race, right? Like the that there's uh, there's goodness and this war doesn't need to happen. Um, well, and that's no, that's what he no, says because no, eventually his because Jason Clark goes back, he brings blue eyes there, and he's like, I was trying to build a better society and uh, where apes were good, and I realized there's shades to both. Yeah. It's not about it's not about species. It's about people or individuals. Exactly. I will say that in a movie that I think does a really good job being subtle and having small moments and and really like quick lines, like and just kind of moving along gently, um, having a scene where the camcorder turns on and he can uh, watch clips of his childhood on a camcorder was a come on. They they left it there. They left the tape in. You either saw okay. You either saw the last movie and you're like, yes, I remember you were you were being raised by a human. You liked that human to some degree. Or Or you're like, this is the weirdest James Franco cameo of all time. Why? (laughs) 
They got Franco for this? Who is the audience for that other than people that like to be like, like clap like seals and be like, I recognize the reference. I mean, I, I did, I did just say that I liked it. Um, <laughs> Peter. Oh, sorry. Or co-host yeah. of Wheels. I'm more, I'm more of a sea lion. I like to think of myself. Um, still can do the tricks. Uh, <laughs> so. so yeah, so, yeah, so they go, they go back. They go back. First, he tries to show Koba mercy. Koba's not interested in mercy. Uh, meanwhile, Gary Oldman, though, is like, hey, I did get all, I escaped. I'm going to blow. I called the military. They're going to blow. They're going to come back. They're going to kill everyone. I'm also going to blow their tower that they've set up camp on. Right. And Jason Clark's like, please don't do that. Please don't do that. Let's give a chance. I'm trusting Caesar to make peace here. So you have this fight on this like giant tower combined with Jason Clark trying to convince Gary Oldman not to blow up the tower. Spoiler alert. Gary Oldman blows up the tower. But uh, crucially, and, and they call the military. He Jason Clark interrupts um, him planting all the charges. He only has some yeah. of the charges planted, so the tower gets badly damaged, and a bunch of apes die. But like the whole building doesn't just like fall in on itself like yeah. it's supposed to. And Gary Oldman yeah. makes a essentially like a suicide a suicide sort of holy war yeah. kind of statement against the apes. Like we need to wipe them out here, or humankind is not going to survive at all. Yeah. Uh, again, he's another person who thinks he's doing the right thing, but not listening to anything yeah. else that's going on. He calls. Them, oh, and the but he also he also I'm calls the military. I'm not trying to be offensive. No. It's literally a term they use in the series when they're talking about people being like, "This is a this is something that's about like the existence of humankind, right?" Um, yeah, he doesn't want to live in a society like ruled by those monsters, yeah. which is like Woody Harrelson's whole thing in the next. Um, I just wanted to make sure I wasn't when I was talking about suicide bombers and holy war that I wasn't coming off as Islamophobic. Yeah. That's like yeah. a, it's an overall sort of arcing theme of the series. Yeah, they'd rather die than live by, with, with the these per, this perversion of human culture in charge, right? Like that's that's what they see them like. Yeah. They gained intelligence through the same thing that killed them. They don't deserve to be intelligent. Regardless of the reasons how they got there, um, so Koba, they're they're fighting. Koba dies in the de- in the um, in the explosion, and that's kind of like it. I mean, Jason, Clark, you know, again as we talked about, it doesn't really have that like it, it feels like a victory because Koba's dad, Gary Oldman's dad, and again Ash is basically the one main character who didn't survive this. Um, everyone else is like, we learned some tough lessons. Um, I guess we're not going to be have a peace with the humans. Hey, Jason Clark's like, hey, he did get off that call to the military. They're going to come. They're going to try to wipe you out. You need to go hide. And he's like, sure. And the movie ends when like a, uh, it started with a scene of of zoomed in on Caesar's face with him ready to go into battle. Uh, and it, it ends with him in a zoomed in image of his face where he looks more resigned that more battles are coming and that and that's the end of the movie like it it really is just like well that didn't work out for anyone yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah and i want to talk about the fight really quickly at the end yeah um, yeah because i want to talk about um i want to talk about some of the actors in the movie so it's yeah. it's obviously not just andy circus which we highlighted a lot of his work last week we can kind of leave it at that right um but the other actor there is toby kebbell um who's really good really great He's sort of one of Circus's um, understudies, in a sense, because mocap is like an art for Andy Circus, and he like occasionally yeah. will have like these sort of understudy guys who are that study with him. And uh, Toby Kebbell is incredible. He's like, as he's like hey, lesson one, make ape faces. <laughs> lesson one, you can't ah-ah before you go ooh-ooh first, okay, buddy? <laughs> 
All right, sorry. Wait, Juan. He's from he's from New Zealand, right? You get oh oh before you go ooh ooh first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thankfully, thankfully he's not so method or like originalist that he's like, I am playing this with an Australian accent. Caesar, <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, 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 mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's a Kiwi chimp. Um, but the. Uh, CGI here. I want to talk about it because this is the this is the movie that I think like the CGI really like stepped up a level because I got to, I, I watched the behind the scenes stuff and I really got to appreciate a few things about this. One, I, I, t- I touched on this last week, but because the actors and Carrie Russell talks about this, because the actors are acting against other actors, they don't have the shit in the MCU where characters are just sort of quipping blindly to a corner yeah. of the camera because they're talking to a white tennis ball and a disco ball. Um, yeah. They are, they are actually talking to an actor who is actually emoting and actually sharing a scene with them. So, first, first point that is that is something that makes this movie land emotionally more than a lot of blockbusters, right? Two, mm-hmm. I don't know how anybody got through even a week of shooting without breaking out laughing because everybody looks fucking hilarious in those <laughs> jumpsuits. Yeah. The behind the scenes shit, like how how do you know that you're not making like the next Battlefield Earth? Like oh, how? Yeah. Mainly because the first one went over well. But yeah. I I mean I I I have seen some of the stills. And I'm sure like the first week is like, get your giggles out now, everyone. Like we're you have first day's giggle day. And then that's company money. You can blow company money on day, on Giggle Day. You laugh on day two, that's your money, buddy. <laughs> that's that's your giggle money. And like Carrie Russell, I think, had the most relatable reaction to this where she was like, Yeah, and then some guys come out and like leotards, and you're like, What's gonna happen? And then Andy Circus starts acting with you and it becomes real in seconds. Like that's Yeah. I'm sure she had some giggle takes though, because like the gig- the giggle money had to get blown really early on. Uh, that's I would have a hard time to. And there's scenes where they're fighting, where it just looks like two gymnasts are mad at each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you you you, fuck, you fucked up my my plie. Yeah. You fucked up my jeté. <laughs> um, it's a talking they, dog, you know. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I I want to I want to highlight the the CGI here because it's really crucially important to talk about how Toby Kebbell how they map actual features of the face, they map the the way the eyes look, and there's um a little bit of good uncanny valley when you watch the special features where you're like you see eyes and you're like those are human eyes in there. There's yeah. a real human in the, in that monkey. It's yeah, which which I think does help. Like you're right. Like the dead eyes, the like. I mean, even I was playing the new God of War game, and like anytime anyone looks at the camera, you're like, oh, it's a stop Not looking so- at the camera. Yeah, <laughs> but no, I mean this just like off camera. I mean this is a movie that l- literally bookends with a fucking chimp eye staring at the camera, and it looks very real and has an emotional impact to it because they're capturing a real actor acting and not a um bunch of cgi points on a, on a on a ball right yeah so so um yeah like as we get to the end jason clark and um gets reunited with caesar um and because they both survived and they both are lamenting the point of this movie is it's sort of this miss uh, melancholy yeah it's a miss. Yeah, it's it's a mischance. Like those two were willing to work with each other, but they had people that couldn't let go of the past, and people that were 
unable to to move into a, a bright new future together mm-hmm. and um as the series goes on you're like you're like this was their chance to actually co-op yeah right because like imagine if the army showed up and they were like they're like, oh, you want us to take out those apes across the street? And they were like, across the bridge. And they were like, actually, we have a good deal going with them. We peacefully are coexisting with them. Like, that probably would have lasted a long time, except for <laughs> if the army that showed up was either of the armies from the next movie, it would have met war. Well, so them. I'm not sure if the second army, though, they seem going after the colonel. They're going after the colonel, but they are about to shoot Caesar as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, they don't seem pro-ape. I think the problem is don't call the army because the army is kind of like cops. They're cops in the future. Yeah. Yeah. Future cops. I mean, they're future cops. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, apes start war. uh, Humans not forgive. Um, is is sort of the the the, the final point that the movie yeah. ends on is like Caesar doesn't have any ill will towards he he promises to not make this a holy war on his end yeah he doesn't have any ill will towards towards Jason Clark he says like you and your people are safe like yeah. even protects them from a pissed off ape who's like who the fuck's this guy yeah <laughs> yeah and again yeah. I think that like I think the full impact of this movie and that lost opportunity is impactful in the movie itself but when it goes into war and you realize how much they're going to end up losing it it adds even that much more dramatical heft to this movie like there there's no pivot point in war where anyone has the opportunity to change their their path like war is like a path that's been set on and is going to go to its completion Decisions were made elsewhere. Yeah. Without your input. Exactly. In Dawn, though, is where you see those decisions and you see those actions and you have that chance to go, like you said, in the middle of this movie from like my final thoughts, the middle of this movie when they're getting along and they're working together and you say this could be the rebuilt society in a world with – you know, uh, with with the simian flu and the apocalypse and two different civilizations coexisting, helping each other, you know, all that sort of stuff. And when that blows up, that's I mean, that's it. Like everything we're going to see in war, which is a brutal fucking movie. And like yeah. part of the reason I love it so much is like for a blockbuster or, or a third movie blockbuster, like you expect it to follow the Return of the Jedi format. There's. You know, there's there's victory and there's happiness and there's celebration at the end. This is like uh, just uh, I mean, it even watching it for a second time, I was like, God, I forgot how fucking like this movie is just a go for the throat. Like these are the consequences of your action. And now how do people get out of their cycles? How do people rise above this fucking this this whole this hellscape that they are now living in as a result? And yeah. We're going to watch that next. So, yeah, Peter, um, until next time, I'll see you at the war for the planet of the apes. Yeah. I uh, I got into this war to travel around the world, shoot different types of apes. Free college. Free college. One of my, I'll, I'll, I'm going to put this in here just because I have no other place to put this. One of my favorite jokes of all time. The new Saved by the Bell show was supremely underrated. It was so great. There's a joke in that show that may be the best written joke that I've heard in the last five years. I think about it all the time where they say, um, is this like the legend of the guy in the next uh, town 
with the hook hand who killed all those kids by getting them to join the army. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. Such a good line. (laughs) So good. All right. Speaking of armies, we've got a few of them next week on We Love to Watch. to We Love to Watch. If you made it to the end, hopefully you liked what you heard today. And if you'd like to hear more, please go to patreon.com slash we love to watch. And if you can chip in a few bucks, that would really help us keep the lights on and keep us moving forward. Uh, it wasn't an implicit threat by Peter. He just didn't know how to say it. But either way, we'll continue to make more. But it would be helpful uh, as we explain to our loved ones where all our money is going, which is all on server space. Uh, <laughs> if you can't, <laughs> uh, if you don't have a few bucks to chip in, we totally understand. And you want to support the show. We truly, absolutely would appreciate a uh, review on iTunes. I know every podcast says it, and it's because it really does help. And so every podcast wants that help. So please go leave us a positive review so that when people find this show organically, they hopefully want to tune in and listen. And thanks again for all of your listenership and support and time throughout the years. Uh, We really do appreciate you. Uh, With kisses and smooches, Peter and Aaron. (laughs) Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs>